You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So right now we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, as Phil mentioned. And um, you can find this on the Bible app if you want, the, um, the U version of the Bible, the, the notes for this sermon. Or you can look up at the screen right now, and we're going to read this, okay? Verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Yeah. I think that's something somehow that's got to sink in for all of us. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, when that adoption took place, where God brought you into his kingdom, where you received, where you accepted the reality of who Jesus is and what God, your father, has done for you, but somehow it just doesn't sink in enough, okay? And we're going to talk about that. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote by Christopher McDonald, McDougall from his book, Born to Run. It says this, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. It doesn't matter whether you are the lion or the gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. (laughs) And boy, running we are. And I don't think it's just about the economy. I don't think it's just about our pace of life because we have to. We just do. We think there is a compulsion. We've got to be running. We've got to be moving. We've got to pack more into our schedules. We are just traveling so fast in so many ways and grabbing onto so much stuff. It's just amazing how we are running. And whether you feel like you are the gazelle or the lion any morning, you better be running, right? I don't think it's just economics these days that it's just harder to make a living. I think it's a little deeper than that, okay? It's ultimately based on what we think we need in order to have the good life, whatever that is, okay? And that is based on what we think life is all about. And that is based on who we think we really are. It's an identity issue, okay? Let me explain this. When you introduce yourself to someone, I don't know if you did that here today, you know, hello, welcome, I'm John, and I'm, what do you say next? What do you say next, right? I am, and so often these days, most people will say, hey, I am, and then they share their occupation or their job, right? I'm a dentist. I am a bricklayer. I am a stay-at-home mom or dad. I am this. I am that. That's how we identify ourselves. And it seems like so often what we do and our worth are tied together. Now, world cultures prior to the United States and prior to the 20th, 21st century or the 19th century even, world cultures, when they, they would introduce themselves, someone would introduce themselves, they would say, hello, I am, and you know what they would say? Who their family was. 
what town they lived in, maybe their ethnicity, and it would be assumed because of those things, their religious identity. But not so for the United States, not so since the beginning of the United States. We got rid of most of that, quote, baggage, we said. Those things don't define us. And we decided we're going to define ourselves by our work. I don't know if you've ever heard of Alexis de Tocqueville. I read, well, I didn't read it. Um, <laughs> I had it in college. His book, his classic, 1835, Democracy in America. And what he did is he traveled from France to America and he basically did a sociological study of the United States and he asked this question, why are the Americans so restless in the midst of their prosperity? Why are they always hurrying? Why, they, why can't they just enjoy life? Why can't they just be satisfied? Why are they always seeking more, 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 more? Okay? And he was worried about what he called our insane ardor, our insane ardor for more. If Tocqueville could see us today, I think he'd be shocked 200 years later since his travels. He would be shocked at how busy we are, how much more we're packing in our schedule, and he'd be asking the question, are they any happier than they were 200 years ago? And the answer would be no, they're no more happy, they're no more content, they're just more packed. And I don't think it's just that we need more. For instance, even like this man up here, anybody know who it is? John D. Rockefeller. The richest person ever in the world because in the 1900s, he had over a billion dollars at that time. Do you know what that A <laughs> billion dollars back then. And he was asked by a reporter one time, how much is enough? And his answer was, a little bit more. Even when we get everything that we think we want and what we think we need, what I've noticed in South Florida as well as anywhere else, we're still not happy. We're still not content. And I don't think it's really about the stuff. I don't think it's about that at all. There is a restlessness inside of ourselves because our identity is not based on something that's solid. Instead, our identity is based on what I can do, what you can do for me, what I can get, what I am pursuing, how I'm defining it, and, and it's always shaky, always shaky. In the book of Galatians, it basically says that we are slaves to the law. And in our day and age, I have a feeling the law is defined more not by the Ten Commandments from God, but by the social laws of what I have to have to have the good life, what I should be pursuing, how I should be seen, what other people think of me, what I think of myself, etc. And yet it is still law. And we are slaves to that. Because if you've got your identity only in what you own, or what you can do, what you can make of yourself, where you live, who you know. You're going to continue to be restless, and you're going to continue to be questioning, and you continue to be wondering. And so the good news for us today is from that book of Galatians, okay? The genius of Jesus, that our identity is not based on those things, not for us anymore, no longer.
Are we slaves to fear or to the law? And the summary could be this. He was the son who became a slave so that we slaves could be sons and daughters. Okay? That's what Paul says. So Jesus, it says, was born under the law. Now, if you got to choose where and when you were born, have you ever thought about that, hypothetically? If you got to choose where and when you were born, who would you choose? Where would you choose? Now, it's totally hypothetical because none of us made that choice, did we? I don't remember making any choices, actually, right? No, of course, we can't make that type of a choice. We can't choose where we were born, what century we were born, to whom we were born, what we were raised with. It's just the way it is. But Jesus is different. Jesus, as we know, in the scriptures, in many, many passages, was preexistent if you want to put it that way, or the fact that he was the son of the father from eternity, as the creed would state. Or before Abraham was, he said, I am. Before anybody was, he was around. He had a choice. And what kind of a choice did he make? Just think about it. He decided to be born at the fullness of time, God said. He was born to a peasant family who had nothing to offer him, no protection and no benefit, in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, not in the provincial capital. And he was born under occupation by a foreign power, the Romans. But even more importantly, this passage says he was born under the law. The lawgiver. The one who made the law. The one who could, if you want to say, be above the law. You know, chose to be under the law. We squirm under laws. We are the ones who say, don't tell me what to do or how to live. I want to make the, I'm going to tell you what to do, but don't tell me what to do. That is the American way. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Now, your driving is terrible. My driving's perfect. Get out of my way, you know. But basically, the idea is don't tell me what to do is the way that we try to live so often. I want to make those decisions. And Jesus is the one who chose to be born under the law, and he was the one who was told what to do. And he willingly did it. He followed the law perfectly, not just the outward intent, but the inward heart of it. And he did so for us. Do you see how much value his choice has for us? He did what we could never do. And he said, and I brought this up before, to redeem those who were under the law. And so the Greek word here for redemption is very important. And I think it's very important today because of what it means. It's the ex agora say. And the agora was the marketplace. And the marketplace was where everything's a commodity. And in those days, did you realize in Rome, there were six slaves for every free person? That the vast majority of the population in Rome was slaves. They were owned by somebody. They were property. And so the marketplace was a place where people were treated like a commodity and bought and sold here and there. And it says, this is the word 
that's redemption, that Jesus came into that marketplace. He sold himself into slavery. He took your place and he freed you so that you are no longer the commodity, no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, no longer in bondage. So there is a before and an after, okay? Before we were slaves, after we are children of God, before we were bound, after we are free, before we were crushed under the law, after we are blessed under the gospel, before we had no future, and after we have a future with God himself. Okay? J.I. Packer said this, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. And he continues, he says, the idea that all are children of God is not found anywhere in the Bible. And I'm going to say that again. The idea that all are children of God is not found anywhere in the Bible. It is adoption. Okay? So that's what Galatians is saying, that you were not a child of God in the sense that you were a slave. You were caught up under the law. You had sold yourself into slavery, but now you are freed. There is a before and an after. So the idea that the gift of sonship, he continues, to God becomes ours not through being born, but being born again. Sonship to God then is a gift of grace. It is not natural, but rather an adoptive sonship. So the New Testament explicitly, explicitly pictures this. The way I can recall it, though, is the fact that though we struggle with this, we struggle with the idea that I am no longer a slave, I am free. And yet we're living back in that marketplace. Do you realize how this world is basically one marketplace where everybody is treated as a commodity? What's in it for me? What can you do for me? You're only as good as what you can do for me, what I think of you, etc. Reminded me, I know this is maybe by analogy, but. Um, one of um, Lisa's favorite movies, I think one of mine too, um, Shawshank Redemption. And in it, Morgan Freeman plays the character of Red. That's his nickname. At the end of the movie, he is released from prison. Do you remember, though, at the end of the movie, how did he handle his freedom? He struggled with it. I see so many Christians who have been freed from the law and yet, they're struggling with it. They're acting as if they're still slaves. They're thinking that they're still slaves. They are living as if they're still slaves. They are still bound by so many things. And this is in the Bible, by the way. I don't know if you realize this. This kind of analogy is in the Bible. Um, uh, the children of Israel... One amazing night where God parts the Red Sea and they leave Egypt. So he, God gets the children of Israel out of Egypt. But then for the next 40 years in the wilderness, he's trying to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. <laughs> you have been rescued by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ one time. But now for the rest of your life, he's trying to get you that slavery out of you. 
And here's my experience with most people. And what I've, the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations with different individuals, both within this church and outside of this church. And thinking about my experience as well, this is the reality. Most people don't really struggle with the fact that God is love. They think that God is all of those things. You know, they don't have this wrathful God picture of, oh my gosh, he's just, and is scared to death of him. That's not their issue. The problem is, most people struggle with either their childhood or their upbringing or their um, experiences in life, wherever it is. And somehow in some form of a toxic environment that was very law dominated in one form or another, they had either adults or others around them that made them feel ashamed of themselves. They struggled with their own identity issues and they question who they are and what their worth is, etc., because of the messages that were spoken to them. So whether it was the fact that they had parents or guardians that were fickle in their love, whether they felt loved or not, whether um, it was the fact that they were belittled or bullied by classmates or siblings and treated like you know, terribly, whether it was they faced something even worse like verbal or uh, sexual or uh, physical abuse in some form or neglect. And you know people have done that, but it doesn't really, for all of us, in some way, it seems like for so many, they have faced these types of things. And somehow then they project that experience onto God, their Father. And even though they know in their head God is loving and they are freed in their heart and in their life, they're still living as a slave. You know, some people say we have a bad memory, you know, human beings, but I like what Phil, um, Pastor Phil um, Pringle says, most people have a bad forgettery rather than a bad memory. They remember what they should forget and forget what they should remember. You see, and so all of a sudden, all this stuff that we are to forget, the slavery, the fact that we are no longer a slave to the time clock, we're no longer a slave to people's expectations, we're no longer a slave to those things that were said or done in our lives, we are no longer a slave to any form of the law, we still remember those things. And we forget the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us in the gospel. And I think it's so easy that that happens because those things keep accusing us. Those things will kill any sense of yourself. They diminish what it means to be a creature of God. Somehow we're letting those things play in our brain again and again. And often it's things that say, you're really nothing. You are the shame that you feel. You are what you deserve. You earned the treatment that you received. You caused that abuse. There are people that even think that in the end. You are only what people really think of you. You're only good if you can do something for someone. You're only worthwhile if there's something you can contribute. And all those things are lies. They're all works of the law. They're all telling you to base your identity on you. When God has freed you from the law and said, base your identity on me and my relationship to you. We have a bad forgettery, you know, and that's what we face. 
We remember the law because the law is easy to remember. We understand how it works. We lived in that for so long, just like the children of Israel in Egypt or just like red in prison. And we forget what God has done for us and how he has freed us in Jesus Christ. And the fact that the new reality is what we need to live into. For freedom, Galatians says, you have been set free. Just that's, he doesn't say, you've been set free so now you can do. You've been set free so that you better. It says, for freedom, you have been set free. I don't think we realize how free Jesus has made us. And to live into that. So Sinclair Ferguson wrote, Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. The apex of it. The fact that we are, above all else, called into being children of God and what that all means. You are a son or a daughter of God. By grace, you have been adopted into God's family. He has chosen you. Do you realize what that means? We're going to go through a few of those things that this passage means and the implications of it. Okay? For instance, can you imagine calling up or trying to get a hold of Warren Buffett? He's now one of the richest people in the world right now, and he's a nice guy from what I can tell, right? Anybody you know Warren Buffett? Anybody ever met him? Do you think you could? But if you were his son or daughter, you think you'd have his cell phone number? And do you think if you needed to, you could call him at three in the morning? You have God as your father, which means you have total access. God is our father, and you have total access to God. You can call him anytime. And he will answer you. So Ephesians 2 says it. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You have access. You also have counsel. I don't know if you've ever thought about that word. You know like a little children who comes to mom or dad. You can come to your father. And you can ask him anything. And he will give you what you need. You have counsel from God. He will not necessarily just give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. You have wisdom from God. You are filled with that wisdom, and so making decisions, you've got a God who is willing to guide and direct you in all of your ways. We don't have to fear. 1 John 2 says, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Okay? And that's the case, that you have that anointing from God, so you have counsel. Do you realize you also have authority? Authority. If you are part of God's family and he is your father, then you have the authority derived from that adoption to be able to speak into any situation. I think so often we step back from that. But this is what Jesus said in his great commission. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And therefore, he authorizes us and says, go, make disciples of all nations. The authority that Jesus had is now ours. You also have an inheritance. And this is amazing in this text, as well as in Galatians, that we see it elsewhere, is the fact that we don't just get a piece of the pie. We get the whole pie. Because it says that we are not just an inheritor of, you know, a little bit. We are co-heirs, 
Romans 8 says. That is equal heirs with Jesus Christ. So everything Jesus has is ours. Everything Jesus has is ours. Do you get it? And you have purpose. Everything in your life has meaning and direction. And God has begun a good work in you and will bring it to completion. And it says we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 2 to do great things. To do works that he has already prepared in advance for us to do. Authority, purpose, inheritance, access. It's amazing what we've got, right? Now, I know just sharing these things, because I've been, you know, around a few years as a Christian, I know how difficult it is to live into these things. It is really tough. It's not something that I can just do Im- immediately just like that, you know? Like, oh, okay, I've got it. Because too often I've got that in my mind, and yet my life experience, like I said, or things in my past, or the way I think or feel or experience gets in the way. So the question really comes down to what's going to make a difference so that we live into what has been given to us by our born-again identity in Jesus Christ. And so that's where, like we've talked about home huddles before, I think that's where they come in. This is, you know, it's kind of like the difference between reading a book and knowing in your head, yeah, I can swim and I could try to convince you about swimming and how wonderful the pool is and how warm the water is and how easy it is to get in and why don't you just try it and I'll have, and you kind of know everything about it, but it's going to take jumping in the pool. It's hard to live out the identity we have in Jesus Christ up here without jumping in the pool. And one little, like, tote, you know, testing the waters to see how it is, is going to a home huddle. So you'll see out in the lobby, we've got this wonderful sign the Lombardos put together. shows the seven different home huddles, the times that they start, where they're basically located in our community. You could just pull a card out and say, hey, I think we're going to try to do that. Jump in the water. Try it out. It's going to be amazing. I really, you, yeah, it's just an amazing event to be a part of. You are going to learn your identity in Christ better by living it with others who are also learning and growing into it. And you are going to get the encouragement and you're going to get the messages there than anywhere else. Another thing that I did a few years ago for, I was a uh, um, chaplain, I guess, for a month at a Christian camp up in Michigan. And, um, that was looking over the staff for that camp for that month. And I realized one of the things they had a hard time doing is having any free time at all for devotional life or anything. Here we're at a Christian camp and it's like they're running from the day they got, uh, the minute they got up to the, the moment they settled down. They're with kids, they're with families, they're doing something. They barely have time to eat, right? And so what we created was what we called Christian affirmations for a 30 days of just one little Bible verse, and then an affirmation over it. Instead of kind of like how we often confess, oh, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Look at how terrible I am. I can't do anything right, and all that stuff, which is maybe true, but it's not the story. Do you understand? That's the before, not the after. We were going to share the after. 
So here's like an example. It's a passage from Colossians chapter 3. Okay? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so taking that promise of God and that passage, and you might go like, well, it doesn't really have much of a... Yes, it does. I think you start seeing what your identity is in that passage. So I wrote this little phrase for them to remember during the day. I am my father's beloved child, dearly loved, and I can reflect God's character to this world. I will have compassion on myself and others today. I will be patient with myself and with others. Why? Because God is patient and compassionate toward me. I just need that every day in some form. It's kind of like a vitamin pill. So if something like that would be helpful, I made 10 copies of these 30 in sheets out in the lobby. They're by um, one of the tables there with our home huddle guides for the week. And if that's going to be helpful, you could cut them up. Put one on the mirror. Put one in your pocket. Just remind yourself again and again during the day what it means that your identity is in Jesus Christ and realize what you have received as a gift. Affirm the good things God has done rather than just the, oh, I've blown it again stuff. Why are we so focused on ourselves? We need to be focused on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The freedom that we have. The sonship. The being the daughter, the royal princess that you are. You are not your shame. You are not your guilt. You are not the sum total of the things that you've done in your life. You are not your past. You're not even the future that you can determine. You are who you are because of Jesus Christ. And in him, you have freedom. And you have a father. You have access to that father. You have authority from the Father. You have just a purpose and a mission from that Father. You have an inheritance from that Father like none other. This summer, um, Justin and I are going to get to travel to um, Europe. Pray for us. Pray for me. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. One of the places we're going to stop at, um, I haven't bought tickets yet to this because I think you can only do it 60 days in advance, and that is to the Sistine Chapel and the Vatican Museums. And I was there last in 1987, and when I was there, I saw the before. I was there before they restored the ceiling of the 16, uh, Sistine Chapel. And what happened is over time, in accumulation, all the soot from different candles that were burnt for hundreds of years and all the human whatever, you know, how our respiration, the pollution from the area that even got into that chapel, everything on the ceiling just dulled down to kind of a muted color. I have a feeling that's kind of our lives so often. We're kind of dull and listless because we accumulate all this junk of what has been said and the expectations. We're stuck in this marketplace and we're treated like a commodity all day. And after a while, it just kind of accumulates on top of ourselves and we become dull and listless, not vibrant and amazing as we are. The after has happened where it's just like, Wow, look at the bright colors. Look at the amazing. That is who we are in Jesus Christ. He has taken away our sin 
and our guilt and our shame. And every day, we can have that removed again. I want that to happen for everyone. I want it to happen for me. And that's what we have in our born-again identity. You have that. You have that. So, maybe for some, this is the question. Are you born again into that identity? It might be new for you what we've been talking about today. Maybe this is something that you just never have received that gift in the first place. Hey, it, 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 I understand. Well, it's the time to receive it and to know what that means and to live into it every day. You know, you can be free. You are no longer a slave. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Will you please pray with me? Lord, we do pray for that freedom, that it becomes a reality for us, that the genius of Jesus, the genius of what he did to be born under the law, to redeem us who were under the law, that we live into that after now, Lord, the freedom that you have for us, the freedom no longer a slave to the fears, to the expectations of others, to our past incidences in life, to what we have done, but that we are free. I pray, Lord, for those who have not experienced or known that freedom ever before, if there's anyone like that here, Lord, that you would just give it to them now. They would receive it openly and fully and that they would live into it. And we pray, Lord, through our home huddles that we can understand more deeply, not on a head knowledge, but in a heart and lived knowledge, Lord, an experiential knowledge, what it means to be free indeed, to have that born-again identity, and to live in the, into the inheritance, into that authority, into, Lord, that freedom. We just pray that you would live, have us live into those purposes to bless our home huddles and bless us each day, Lord, so that we just celebrate your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of this. And uh, we are amazed once again at your genius. Amen.